0: Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother,
1: Wesley. And today we're discussing a movie by Paul Thomas Anderson, 2021's Once Upon a Time in the Valley. (laughs) Boogie Nights of Reseda.
0: Yeah, he's obsessed with Reseda. I'm stunned right now because I just realized that Cooper Hoffman is Philip Seymour Hoffman's son.
1: Yeah. Even when I saw his name, I didn't know. First thing I wrote down while I was watching the movie is uh, this feels so Paul Thomas Anderson, just the Sherman oaks of it all. And I was like, and there he is, the young Philip Seymour Hoffman type. This kid is going to be our hero.
0: Whoa, weird. He's great. He's very natural.
1: Yeah, first role.
0: In a huge role at that.
1: All of 18 years old.
0: What a trip it must be to work with someone who I assume his father had a very close relationship. I mean, how many films did P.T. Anderson and Philip Seymour Hoffman do together? They did Boogie Nights.
1: Yeah, at least five. They did Boogie Nights. He had a small role as a gambler in Heart 8, aka Sydney. He was certainly in Magnolia and Punch Drunk Love. Um,
0: master, obviously.
1: Yes, being the titular master.
0: That's crazy. So Cooper Hoffman plays Gary. And as I understand it, Gary was also based on a a character or someone from P.T. Anderson's life. You know, mover and shaker type guy, became a producer, and I guess P.T. Anderson was inspired by that. This is kind of like a dude movie, and I a little bit have to defer to you and to Brian if Gary's character worked for you. Or if you thought he was representative of what it's like to be a dude who's hustling for work and for his chick and all the while growing up. And figuring that stuff out.
1: I mean, it's obvious that Cooper Hoffman, as Gary in this movie, is a sharp guy. Gary himself seems very aware. But even Cooper admitted in a Q&A that the, the way he differs from Gary is that he would never have the confidence to just roll up on what is definitely, in this case, an older lady. Alana was 24 or 25. I think she said both. And at 15, for the Gary character, that is a significant difference. But... Maybe she was a little bit childish. She was floundering a little bit in her personal life and he was just go, go, go and super focused. But I cannot relate to his confidence or his throwing everything at it. Go get that got him into all these crazy situations. It's I'm guessing that the dude on which the Gary character was based didn't have like the waterbed thing and the pinball thing and the this thing and the that thing in the space of like two hours of his life, or in this case, like two and a half hours. I'm guessing that was over years. And I think Gary did it in a semester. I mean, we (laughs) saw him in high school and then he just like went off into the world and he never went back to school. He was at best a sophomore, right?
0: Yeah. At 15. Yeah.
1: I don't get it. I mean, this is, you know how you have the, the thing where they're like, would you go back to when you were 15 and all the stuff you'd know, all the stuff you know now? That's who it seems like Gary is. He's remarkably self-possessed and has the confidence that he could go after a girl 25 years who should have nothing to do with him.
0: Maybe Brian felt more of a kindred spirit with Gary. He sold knives door to door. He, like, has always been scheming about his dive shop business or photo business or flying toilets that make you sandwiches business. But I think something about Gary clicked for him, like that hustler side of him. I don't know about the confident side of him, though, because I don't know that anybody is that confident. I mean, people have that facade, but it's usually masking some kind of lack of confidence.
1: It all seems preternatural in the sense that she is caught up by it, and it's almost as if he's emotionally 10 years beyond where she is.
0: Yeah, she definitely gets caught up in it. I mean, even in the first conversation in the line for the yearbook photo, like you could see how he's hooked her almost immediately. And it doesn't feel like a I mean, it's definitely the hard sell, but it doesn't seem disingenuous. Like he seems like he's genuinely interested. And I think that that I think that Gary's most envious trait is not that he is a hustler and not that he is confident, but that he knows I think we don't give knowing a lot of credit but it's something it's really hard like it's really hard to know what you want to know who you want and i feel like that's a really painful part of growing up for a lot of people who don't there are a lot of people who end up in jobs that are fine and that pay the bills and then they become weekend warriors and they have hobbies outside of work and they look forward to retiring but they're kind of cruising through life, and I think that there's a lot of people who are in that position that find it to be fine, but a lot of people who actually find it to be kind of painful, like never knowing what they want, let alone how to go after
1: it. It seems like the key to being wealthy is having five streams of income, and you, you find your next project or your next operation, you bounce from waterbeds to pinball to who knows what else. And you kind of find your way. It's aggressive pursuit as opposed to passive, just working, you know?
0: Yeah, kind of like Lin-Manuel Miranda's Jonathan Larson character. Throw it up on the wall, see what sticks. You do it again, you write the next one. And then after that, you write the next one. You do it until it works.
1: And maybe self-knowledge and just being clear about what you want is what's most important. Even if you're faking it, right? Fake until you make it. But Gary in particular, as it pertains to Alana was very forward and direct and calm. We talked about in Promising Young Woman how utterly creepy all the confident <laughs> dude bros were, right?
0: It's a fine line.
1: And how when Bo Burnham was walking her home, I was like, look all oh, they you found herself at the apartment. And you were like, that was totally calculated. Oh. And I'm like, ooh, dudes gross. are that gross. But Gary never came across in that way. And I'm not sure it was because he was young or 15 and what harm could he possibly do. He was just confident and calm the whole time.
0: <laughs> he did not come off as a creepo, even though I think she accused that of him at least twice, like even in the initial conversation. But he's, his intentions seemed pure and straightforward, and he communicated them clearly.
1: I mean, part of that was looking at her pants and also, please show me your boobs. I don't know about pure, but it was direct. And I guess it was innocent and honest enough that, you know. I mean,
0: what is the correct response when a woman shows you her breasts? Is it to stand there and stare?
1: Thank you or whatever, I guess.
0: Like, do you reach out and touch them?
1: Yeah, you make honky noises and you lunge. Uh...
0: I I don't know if he crossed the line necessarily, but she sure gave him a smack to indicate as much.
1: Yeah, there were lines crossed in this movie, 100%. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. You're going to expect these things. But, I mean, you have to understand, kids these age watching this movie would be like, what? She's like 25? How's that? Do the Japanese thing? How is that even going to work to almost any audience's ears? Like, I almost laughed in spite of myself because it was so outrageous. And he kept doing it.
0: I mean, wasn't he? He was just pretending, right? They were both in on the joke that they were just pretending that he would translate for her.
1: I don't think so. I think he thought that that's how his wives needed to be talked to. Because this was based on someone that P.T. Anderson observed who talked about like a constant flow of casual racism her entire life.
0: What I'm saying is the wives obviously understood English.
1: Well, one of them did.
0: And he said that he doesn't understand Japanese or speak Japanese. So what was actually going on there?
1: I think that he was trying to be Japanese for her. The accent? I don't know. Because at first I thought he did understand. I didn't know what was going on. My, my jaw dropped and I was like, let's see where this one goes.
0: <laughs> because you were like offended on behalf of the mail order bride?
1: I, it was Obviously offensive, but there are a lot of things that should be offensive. I mean, that age gap is considerable and technically criminal. And I think it was criminal still in the 70s. It was just like not the same if it was a dude.
0: Uh, Yeah, this movie would be different if the uh, if the genders were inverted, but it's somehow less creepy. Because Alana is not a predator and she's not actively pursuing Cooper necessarily. I think it has a lot to do with her hesitation. She's drawn to this kid. She's attracted to him to a certain extent. But she understands that it's kind of weird and inappropriate for her as the adult in the the equation.
1: Is that the case? I mean, because I feel like the Alana character was a little bit adrift in that she went after what she wanted and was aggressive and now she's on the mayoral campaign and stuff and now she's on the back of Sean Penn's dirt bike and stuff and I was like what's she's just going after anything that catches her eye which is kind of what dumb young people do so I wondered if the age difference was what she was continually bucking up against or if she was just indecisive because she went into that date and she was all timid and reserved But then she turned on him and was super aggressive and doing the same thing. It was almost like a defense mechanism. But they kind of spent the whole movie being friends, but also fighting. It was almost more of a sibling relationship. There, There were actually times where there would be jumps where she would be mad at him. And then they'd be running through the streets like hair flowing and smiling in the sunlight. And I was like, that's kind of an abrupt change. And I it felt like many years were passing, but I don't think any time was passing at all. <laughs> I think she dated like six dudes in the space of like two months.
0: I could see how many years could seem to pass in one summer, one summer of your youth. But everything that she does is kind of in reaction to the status of her relationship with Cooper. I mean, she was clearly acting out with the Sean Penn character, right? And not only that, but in front of him, you know, at the restaurant that he goes to,
1: like... Stuck out her tongue at him.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, real mature, right? She's doing all of these things, like, in direct response to him. I don't know. The way that the whole evil Knievel performance went down at the tail of the cock or just right outside of it or whatever happened there, that all seemed pretty orchestrated to get back in to good graces with him. I mean, he's literally there to pick her up when she falls
1: Yep, and I thought that was his moment to go in for the smooch, and then he didn't.
0: Well, we still had two hours in the movie left, so. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and that itself was an hour and a half in already, right? (laughs) It did feel like it was a progression of years, and he was going to get older, and then he was going to reach a threshold of age where it would be acceptable for them to date, is what I was expecting was going to happen. But the evidence that continually reminded me of his age is the fact that they kept running everywhere they went. Did you notice how much running there was? Like only kids will be like, let's go. And then they run off together like at top speed.
0: There was a lot of running in this movie. Brian pointed that out pretty early. I
1: do not run unless I'm in imminent danger, dude. Who breaks into a run?
0: Kids in the 70s. You got to either you run, you roller skate or you ride your bike.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Kids. I, I legitimately thought when the other Haim sister was like, you know where she works, right? This is so she works. You want me to go there? You, you know where she works, right? I totally thought he was going to pull a Hollywood homicide and grab one of those off to the side bikes and like race there with the streamers going and stuff. <laughs> Banana seat.
0: Brian predicted every time they'd run, he'd be like, I'm, he's about to run. And then he would. And and be the, like, is this Gord. the drinking game? <laughs> they run. They pretty much they run in almost every scene. But also, you were saying all the evidence would remind you that he was 15. It seemed to me that all of the evidence pointed to him being older. I mean, he drove. Yes. He was Kinda. conducting, making business calls, you know, from his business office. And like you said, he yeah. ne- never went to school.
1: He heard that pinball was legal and suddenly had a fully stocked pinball palace. Do you know how much pinball machines cost?
0: No, I have no idea.
1: Thousands. But they're also not in abundance when they've been outlawed in the U.S. for like 40 years.
0: Why were pinball machines outlawed? Gambling?
1: Someone passed. Yes, they're legally a form of gambling.
0: So bizarre. Didn't he also drink, Cooper?
1: He said he could get us martinis in his attempt to make her jealous or whatever. One of the girls in the booth in that scene, by the way, being P.T. Anderson's daughter.
0: Oh, no way. It's a family affair because Maya Rudolph was also the casting director. Yep. Who had a great look when she looked at the uh, fellow casting director. Did you think that he made it or that they were cutting him?
1: I honestly didn't feel like it mattered. I didn't see the acting as being like, oh no, this is the make or break for the movie because obviously it wasn't. But I was like, oh, he's acting now? Okay, well, let's see how this turns out. So I thought that he was going to get it just because he's Gary. And then the other kid, Lance or whatever, was in the way a little bit too much. And that's a little bit of the problem is that I didn't land on any of these things as being stakes. If you go to IMDb, you know what the synopsis of this movie is? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around, and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973.
0: That pretty much sums it up.
1: Right. <laughs> That's what they did. They ran around, they did different stuff, and in the end, they smooched. <laughs> and so nothing really had dramatic weight. And the only opportunity for that really to happen petered out all of a sudden. When you go to Bradley Cooper's house and he said, I will kill you if you mess up my house. And then he deliberately messes up the house by flooding it, leaving the bed with the product stamped into the nozzle thing. So he knows exact to never see that character again was unthinkable to me. I mean, it was arguably the longest single running Sequence. Vignette in the movie, right? Yeah. And eventually we're going to get to this prominent scene in the trailer where he smashes car windows with like axes. And then that scene never came until they credited him at the end. Th- that scene just never happened. I guess it didn't make it into the movie. That's where the stakes were, I think, right? That he was definitely going to come and hunt them down, given that he knew exactly where they worked. And he's established, I'm going to kill all of you. And they're like, well, I guess we're going to mess up your house and see if you kill all of us.
0: To your happy price, price line. I mean, he was kind of a jerk, but it's not like he even had it coming to him.
1: I mean, not really. But why would you put yourself at risk? It's his business.
0: It was. And he had everything to lose. But that's where Gary becomes a kid to us, where he is reckless and just wants to have fun. And he does it all for kicks.
1: But I think this movie just sort of does it for fun. This movie does all kinds of things for fun. It's like, how do we get them blocks and blocks away from the expo? and have them running in the sunshine. Let's frame him for murder. Let's get him arrested. And then they have to run back. It makes total sense. It's very random.
0: It was very random. See, the problem is this is a P.T. Anderson film where you could actually follow the storyline, but the storyline didn't pay off. Like, I have to say, I kind of really hated this movie.
1: You hated it?
0: Granted, I came to this movie with a ton of expectations.
1: Well, I actually didn't. I've been burned by PT a couple too many times now, and I was like, <sighs> <sighs> licorice pizza. That's a terrible title. I guess I'm probably going to have to see that at some point.
0: <laughs> it is a terrible title, and I understand it does have meaning, but even when the meaning is explained to me, it still infuriates me because it's still meaningless.
1: It's not like he owned a record store. It's not like they ever once sat down and played music. There was lots of music, but the movie did it for fun. It, like, threw some songs in there, period songs.
0: I like the characters. I like the world. It's fun to be with them. It's fun to, you know, experience first love for the first time. And there's tension there. Fine. You know, their relationship being the entire stakes in the movie, you know, not great, but fine. Like, I went along for the ride. And in the end, I was like, that's it? <laughs> like, you took me through all it's of not that? not it. That's
1: three hours later.
0: That's the thing. And it was also so long. I just, I felt like even more than the master and inherent vice, I could say, okay, they weren't for me. I just didn't get them. But licorice pizza could have been for me. And I got it. And I hated it. <sighs>
1: Even Kelly Ray was like, that was a weird movie. You like weird movies sometimes, right? And I was like, I guess so. It jumped around so much. She jumped from the photo thing, and then she was the acting chaperone somehow. He got her into that position. And then she was acting, and that got her in with Sean Penn. She jumped to the mayoral office she wanted
0: to do something with meaning in her life.
1: They went through so many different businesses and operations with no transitions. It felt like a series of commercials. Gary is like his new thing. Come to Waterbeds and you'll be happier with these wigs and and running around and stuff. I'm like, I can breathe. Clared and clear kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was just kinda of holding on and then when it when I thought we were really gonna get into some drama and story, like with the Bradley Cooper thing, I was like, They're gonna be he's gonna be chasing them the whole movie. Then he just kind of disappeared.
0: Bradley Cooper was great though. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that a fun he, he role was. for Bradley Cooper?
1: I mean he was chewy. It was a Gary Oldman role, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, and Gary took it really well. He he did what one can only do in a situation like that, which is to nod and to pay attention. Yeah, but
1: he obviously wasn't scared. No. He was just like, okay, well, we don't want to make you late. You can go then. And Bradley Cooper's like, you're speaking my language. You're insane, too. I'm insane. You're insane. We should be insane together. Go ahead. (laughs) Set up my waterbed. Go. I'm going to kill you, though, if you mess it up. So it's not like he was intimidated. He was directly defiant and did exactly the one thing that he should not have done, that it was requested he not do.
0: Right, because he's just a kid.
1: And it all comes back to that. Every single character was kind of insane. So I have this theory that Licorice Pizza is a 16-hour movie. Because like they said in the Q&A for The Master, Joanne Seller and Daniel Lupi, who are still on board as executive producers for P.T. Anderson movies, were like, we don't get in his way. Our job is to let him do what he needs to do. And we both agreed after seeing The Master, no, your job as a producer is to steer the crazy auteur in a direction that's marketable. So I'm pretty sure that they just let P.T. Anderson go, and he's like, great, and shot a 16-hour movie that they ultimately had to whittle down to two and a half to three hours. And that explains all the time jumps. It explains the inconsistencies and the sudden disappearances of people like the Bradley Cooper character. Like, Sean Penn was bigger. All these major stars showed up, had their moment, and were never seen or heard from again.
0: So they cut out the vinyl pants business and the roller skate <sighs> business. And yep, the, all that stuff. And the Soul Glow business. And that just all went away. And
1: that's where all those characters came back. Like, Bradley Cooper and Sean Penn came back, and they, they all died in those scenes. But we didn't get to see them because they got cut out.
0: I think that's probably a pretty good theory. Maybe not 16 hours, but 6 of just kids being kids and youth being youth and love being love.
1: Right. It was basically punch drunk love for kids and <laughs> and, and ended up the same way and, and nothing happened. <laughs> so did you,
0: I mean, so were you satisfied? Is this P.T. Anderson returning to form, if not function? No, no, no.
1: I was dreading this movie and I thought this was a regression. I thought it beforehand and I kind of still think it is now. The interactions weren't quite real. They were in this semi-heightened P.T. Anderson, Quentin Tarantino style where, like, the casting director lady or the manager would get all serious and start snarling and stuff and then go back to normal. And so nothing, nothing felt real. And I thought it was an hour longer than this particular movie needed to be. This is going back to the old P.T. Anderson form and retreading it with a slightly different angle, but it didn't move the needle.
0: It's And it's so hard because if this was a Sundance film by a first-time filmmaker, you'd be like, wow, that filmmaker's got a ton of potential and I can't wait got to a see voice. what they do next. Yeah, but for P.T. Anderson, it feels like a detour. But what can I reasonably expect from this man? I mean, he's a human who pursues what interests him at any given moment. And he gives it form and shape and light. What I'm saying is that I acknowledged that I had extremely high expectations, not only for this film, but for this filmmaker, and was ultimately disappointed based on it. You can only hate something if you care. And I, like, really cared. I really wanted to, I wanted him to succeed. This is such a great place for him to play. Like, this is totally his color palette. This is totally his canvas, this world that he can dabble and play in. I just hate it because I care.
1: And I didn't. I dropped my expectations through the floor and I was like, this is gonna suck, but let's watch it because you have to watch a P.T. Anderson movie. I very much got a P.T. Anderson movie, just an older style. I think Cooper Hoffman is good. I think he has the unusual look of his dad and he's definitely a pimply faced, 15 year old Simpsons looking teenager character. Alana Haim and her sisters were surprisingly good Tonally, they were a little bit off because they were, they were in a P.T. Anderson movie, and they kept switching stuff, and she was fierce, and then she was sweet, and then she was shy, and it was just in general kind of confusing.
0: Fun cameos with Sean Penn and Tom Waits and Bradley Cooper, even a little Easter egg of, with John C. Riley.
1: Yeah, which, I, of course, I didn't find out until after the fact.
0: You didn't hear his voice? Oh, his voice was so was crystal clear to me.
1: No, I had no idea. I don't even remember because uh, obviously at the expo, it was supposed to be Fred Gwynn as Herman Munster, but I didn't hear his voice. That probably would have caught me. I don't remember that character speaking in a prominent way.
0: You know what it is? It's um, John C. Riley narrated The Point at the Wheel Greer Theatricum Botanicum in Topanga. What are you super... saying? <laughs> There's a super hippie outdoor theater in Topanga, and they had a, uh, a holiday fair I took Paloma to.
1: This is in real life.
0: Real life. They, in the in real life, they had a theatrical reading of the point, Henry Nielsen's play, The Point, and John C. Riley narrated it. And so I think that his voice was just like burned into my my mind and my memory. And then when I heard it, it kind of like rang like a bell through all the noise of the at the teenage fair. You
1: remember how I said that certain movies, they it looks it's like if Wes Anderson directed an apocalypse movie. This was as if Stand By Me or something was directed by P.T. Anderson. It was just it was lots of kids running around and getting in adventures and doing implausible kid things.
0: But in a fun, dreamy kind of way, like, oh, you're capturing some essence of my youth or the fantasy of youth or in a like, "Mm, yeah, that's interesting.
1: None of it made me mad. I was just like, Yeah, okay. P.T. Anderson is a skillful filmmaker. He's been doing it a long time. He has a very unique voice. He's made some of my favorite movies of all time, and he knows what he's doing. I don't think he's off his rocker, so I didn't hate it or feel any ire. I was just like, okay, we got through that one, and I, and, and he didn't make me mad.
0: So what are your favorite P.T. Anderson films?
1: Easily Magnolia and There Will Be Blood, although I'm discovering with P.T. Anderson movies that some of these are evocative of very specific times in my life when I needed these particular movies. I like Boogie Nights very much. I didn't connect with it at the time but at the times when There Will Be Blood and Magnolia Hit Me they were very important times.
0: A Very impressionable fabric of life kind of stuff. Boogie Nights has certainly grown on me over time and Boogie Nights is one of those weird background movies. Boogie Nights and Bridesmaids and like Titanic can always be Oh, and, and Hangover can always be on in the background.
1: I was, uh, I was shocked at how badly Punch Drunk Love aged when I showed it to Kelly. I was like, look, it's a P.T. Anderson movie. It's like entry level. And then we watched it and, and I was like, oh, that, that movie didn't hold up well at all. Not even in an innocuous, charming way. I
0: thought Phantom Thread was quite effective.
1: That's where my my expectations went, through the roof. I was like, one of my favorite filmmakers and certainly my favorite actor, let's do it. And then they like made some dresses and got sick and stuff.
0: I think if you revisited Phantom Thread, you might find that the subtlety delivers something more for you the second time around. Like, it's kind of weirdly thrilling. (laughs) It's kind of weirdly thrilling and the tension's really subtle and it's very um,
1: subversive. When I have time, man. When I have time. Because I'm a hustler. I'm a mover, a shaker, a movie watcher.
0: Uh, Or whatever movies is my side hustle.
1: Man, you got to come up with a better side hustle. This doesn't pay anything. Matter of fact, it takes more than it pays. So kelly ray doesn't make real hasn't officially made any requests for movies that we discuss but she made a very specific request about licorice pizza that i think it's time to honor and that is she got very excited when she learned that alana saying that gary being circumcised clearly meant he was jewish she's like you guys are going to talk about that right and i was like i don't think so and she's like i think you guys should talk about circumcision so here we are, because <laughs> okay. I'm not sure if things were different in the 70s, but I was around in the 70s. I w- this this movie predated my existence by about three years, but I'm not sure that a lot changed, and I'm certainly not Jewish.
0: No, you are definitely a, what's the word for people who aren't Jewish that starts with a G?
1: Gefilte fish.
0: Gentile. You are definitely a Gentile and not Jewish, and you are circumcised. It's just hygienic. I mean, I would kind of defer to Brian on it, but I think Brian likes being circumcised. I mean, not that he had a choice.
1: I was under the impression that maybe not the vast majority, but certainly the majority of people did so because, as you stated, theoretically speaking, it's more hygienic. Is it necessary? No, but I I kind of thought it was routine because I think parents have to bring their kids back in specifically after a couple of days, right, for that
0: I think so. And in the Jewish tradition, you have it ceremonially remo- removed during the bris, which comes at least a couple weeks or months after a male child is born.
1: So it still sucks. You just don't remember it.
0: Correct. You get your first taste of wine and everybody watches it happen, but you don't remember it. I actually attended a bris. It was um, it was beautiful.
1: And that is the poster quote for this movie. <laughs> You've attended a bris and it was beautiful, and you remember it with more fondly than you do licorice pizza. Uh,
0: it was a cu- it was a cultural experience. They they dip a little sponge in wine. They give it to the kid as an anesthetic. They circumcise his foreskin, and then we all had lunch.
1: Yeah, they hold it in the little tweezers, and everybody gets to kiss it or sniff it or something.
0: Oh, uh, you took it to the next level.
1: So there. So we talked about circumcision.
0: Yeah, okay. So uh, you're welcome, Kelly. We're happy to oblige not only your requests, but the requests of our avid fans at or Whatever Movies, which you can make at orwhatevermovies.com, orwhatevermovies at gmail.com, at orwhatevermovies, wherever you get social media, and by calling our hotline at 818-835-0473.
1: I mean, Licorice Pizza was intimately shot colored and styled appropriately for the era. You could only make these exchanges with the assured hand of a director who knows what he's doing, even if this material isn't necessarily challenging. Would you agree that all the elements were in place?
0: Sure. I mean, you're always taking a risk with two first-time actors in your leading roles.
1: But any misgivings I have about Licorice Pizza have nothing to do with those two people. Correct. Who were surprisingly delightful, I guess. Refreshing and yet still given all these pieces in place and the execution of a tried and true director for Oscar season you think licorice pizza is
0: boring
1: man officially stomped it into the ground
0: cuz i just really wanted this film to succeed i think also in my mind he's still a kid in like converse and like corduroys and like <laughs> riding around in limos with with fiona apple He's ten, exactly 10 years older than me. He's just a dude in his 50s or whatever, and he's doing what he loves, so God bless him. But Licorice Pizza, just a little bit disappointing to me.
1: As you know, my scale is much more hate-based. If it doesn't piss me off, then I tend to look on it favorably, especially from people whose work I've revered in the past. And for that reason, I'm going to give Licorice Pizza an all-right rating. And if any part of this movie popped up, I would watch it and be like, oh, okay, Licorice Pizza's on. I'm not going to ask anybody if they've seen licorice pizza other than to suggest that they listen to our review.
0: And there you have it. An all right from Wes, a boring from Iris. That's our discussion on P.T. Anderson's licorice pizza. Uh, Let us know what you think about licorice pizza and check out our other P.T. Anderson review on There Will Be Blood. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.
1: And live in a life by your own design.
0: Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success.
1: This is Unapologetically Fab.
0: An Electric Cast production.
1: See you there. Electric
0: Cast.
1: Hey there, I'm DC. I host The Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electricast.
0: Electricast.